Welcome everyone, it's Gabe, your host from the Feed Your Yoga podcast, and I'm so excited. I have an incredible yoga teacher out of London living in Mallorca. His name is Howard Evans, and let us jump right into it because Howard only has a certain amount of time today, and I'm so excited that he's on the call with us. So Howard, do you want to say anything to the public before we start getting you some questions? Well, I, I accept myself as a yoga teacher with a huge, <laughs> huge proviso, but um but I'll get on to that when you ask some questions. So, no, go ahead. Awesome. Well, I know that you do a bunch of other therapeutic work, but your main aspect of craniosacral and Thai massage, and you wrote a Thai massage book, which we'll put onto the um, blog so people can have access to it and see it. But you do teach yoga. Thank you. And I've been to your yoga classes, and I'm excited. And I just want to hear a little bit about... As a male teacher, what are some of the challenges that you face out there in the yoga world? Oof. I don't think I face any, Gabe. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. Not, I love it. <laughs> I don't have any challenges. No, I mean, the, the interesting thing as a male teacher is, is I got a lot of men to classes. And it seems, you know, when I look at other studios, that that's the big issue is trying to get guys to come to yoga. Um the whole the whole point in my class was that it was really suitable for men's bodies and for men's behavior um and then it suited a lot of women as well so so that was rather than a challenge it was a great opportunity that's awesome every man that has been on the show with me has already always said how hard it was for them to bring men and they had a bunch of challenges so i'm so excited that your answer was completely different good took away <laughs> the next question then we'll come to the third question <laughs> You know, and then works out perfectly because your timing is limited. So everyone, Howard Evans is one person who managed to use his skills as a yoga teacher to just attract men. And having been to his classes and been to the studios as a teacher also, I must say that, yes, it's been always exciting to go down to Mallorca and see how many men are around Evans, Howard's classes and coming to my classes. Good. So when did you start your yoga practice? Um, my practice has been off and on for um, probably since my late twenties, but uh, it's been a very happy. What are you thirty now? No, <laughs> sixty-one. <laughs> well, forty-one years of on and off practice—that's fantastic. Yeah, that's pretty lazy, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you've been doing it for forty years, even if it's on and off, I mean, I know people who've been doing it for five years, but they don't do it anymore. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, it's it's true. It's always been there for me. What inspired you to start you know, practice? Um, basically, it's always been around teachers. So, so it's actually finding a teacher that I really like. So the inspiration really was was hearing about one particular teacher in London, um, and trying him out and thinking he was a great guy and just wanted to do classes with him. So my whole practice has really been around that, the particular teachers. What was your name of your first teacher? Let's give him a shout out then. There's a guy, Fausto Maria. Fausto Maria Zarelli. He's an Italian guy living in London. Fantastic. I'll have you maybe send me his link and then I'll link his name when I put no, it on the uh, blog post. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure because Fausto is one of, the, one of the real old timers, you know, from Shivananda and put in an incredible number of teachers on the map. So, great, great man. Wow, that's awesome. That's, I've never heard of him, but now I'm excited to read about him. Yeah, good. <laughs> what would you say inspired you to become a teacher then? 
it was not, I mean, it basically was an accident. I, I was not intended to become a teacher at all. So when I started living in New Yorker, I found another very good yoga teacher, a guy called Bobby Jones, also unknown, but a wonderful teacher now living in Ireland in Limerick. And he was, he, well, he wasn't teaching. And I persuaded him to set up a class. I told him I'd get him a bunch of guys who were getting fat. And uh, <laughs> he had to build a class who did fat guys. So that's what he did. And um, and then when he left, I took it over and continued to develop the routine that we use. Wow, that's awesome. That's a really cool story. Yeah. So two yeah, accidents. Yeah, two accidents. Huh? And I know you just said, I said two accidents that are in your favor and in the favor of so many other people. Yeah, I know. It's fantastic, isn't it? I think we call it serendipity. I love that. Yeah. So I heard you you. going to other teachers' classes, so your practice doesn't really have a consistency of a tradition, let's say like a shtanga or Zen meditation or shivananda, as you just mentioned. Not at all. I mean, it's really a mix. I mean, what, what I developed over the years is a routine. Um, so in some ways, you know, that's, that's, um, paying, what do they say, paying respects to, to a sangha, this idea of, of a predictable routine in which you can discover new things every time. So there, there's an aspect of that, there's aspect of Hatha, there's aspects of Shivananda, um, but you know, it's, it's a class which, which has the very simple aim of putting people in their body in the moment. So, um, but I, I can't say it has any particular route. That's okay. That's beautiful because that's the intention of physical asana practice, to go in the body and discover something beyond the body. Yes, and that's that's what we do. That's fantastic. And yes, everyone has taken our class and that is what happens there and it's really incredible. So if you're in Mallorca, I'm going to make sure that the information is down there. But let me ask you, are you, I know that you're not a full-time yoga teacher, right? Not at all. No, no. It's really, really, I do do a class that suits me and a bunch of friends come along and join me for it. So no, not full time. And so do you supplement your income doing what? Share with us. What, what do you well, do my, my main income? income, to be honest, for income primarily, I'm a therapist and a teacher. So, um, and these days, more and more, I'm doing craniosacral and less and less massage and dynassage. So more or less, my main income is uh, running a craniosacral therapy practice. You want to share with the listening a little bit about craniosacral from your perspective and how you choose to share it? Yeah, in a, in a way, yes. I mean, because it, I mean, craniosacral started as osteopathy. Um, then, you know, from John Upledge, it became a, a therapy in its own right. And over the last, let's say, maybe 20 years that I've been involved in it, is, is developed an, an offshoot which we call more biodynamic, the biodynamic approach to craniosacral. And that, I mean, what's interesting about biodynamic is it's engaging with, with the person where they're well rather than the person where they have problems. So a lot of body work are looking at the problems and trying to fix them. So it could be osteopathic approach or physiotherapy or um, deep tissue massage. Whereas craniosacral, the first engagement is where the person is well. And um, the problems are put aside. So it's a very interesting um, therapy. I mean, it's very interesting that most people, regardless of what's going on in their life or in their body or you know the degree of pain they may bring into the room, go out with a sense of, of wellness and a sense of um, their own resources and well-being. So it's quite special work. It is. No, I must say it is. And 
I mean, the, the way you talk about it also then makes me then come back to yoga, meaning Absolutely. both you and I approach yoga from the idea that, oh, wait, I don't, it doesn't matter what problems you have, like, oh, I can't touch my toes, well, just bend your knees. Let's not yeah. focus on the problem. Let's focus on what yeah. works and let's allow what's working to be the main focus. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I think that, you know, it's, and I feel very much, you know, the work that I do in Crane Sacred and the work I'm doing in yoga exactly has that quality. It's like, you know, we're not, well, as you say, not looking at the problem because actually it doesn't matter. What we're looking at is where, where we're well inside and inevitably we are all well inside. So, yeah, I see the two in terms of my work and in terms of what you and I may do in the future. That's, that's exactly my interest, you know, in yoga and craniosacral. It's where, where are we well within ourselves? And if we remember the idea of yoga about there's a part of us that's all connected to all of us and that part that is the same in all of us is always well, or to use another word, is joyful or joy. Yes, absolutely. No, it's, it's interesting, and I think it's interesting, you know, from from the training sacred perspective and from the yoga perspective, that people are finally getting that. You know, that's you know, the, the yoga, in a way, was taken in the West and you know, became really hard work for a lot of people. And over the years, you know, a lot of people tried it and were put off. Um, but there, there is another way of doing it, more, more, I say, more joyful way of doing it. Um, which I think we need, you know, a lot of people would take too much better than, than that old painful struggle. No, exactly. I agree with you 100%. Mm. So let me ask you, 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 you wrote a few books and one of them is a fiction book. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? Yes. Well, I was just talking with somebody about it the other day because basically I, I published it. I published it myself. Um, and then a friend read it, and I mean, she's a very good literary critic or a literary um, representative. And then she said she wanted to actually get me up with a big publisher. So the book's actually been on hold for the last year, and unfortunately, I don't know what happened to her. So I decided, okay, I have to do something myself again. So I was, I was discussing this, and I realized what the book is is an allegorical tale. So it's, it's looking at the world, looking at the, in a way, the division within the world to an allegorical story. So it's a kind of discussion on the, the kind of gross world, you know, the, the materialistic world that would like people to be detached from themselves and detached from things of real meaning, um, like the spirit, um, and filling up that space and void with consumption, with buying, with doing, with um, whatever rubbish they get um, thrown at them from television and uh, internet these days. So it's really a tale about that. It's a, a tale of two worlds. Will you tell us the name of the book? And I will put it in the blog. Yeah. yeah, please do. It's called The Story of Rose. Yeah. And, um, wonderful book. I, I did I'm... read it right when it came out, so it's a wonderful book. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and the second one I'm writing. So, uh, so there's another one coming behind it, so I'm working along that. And, you know, same story, but even more so, you know, just reminding us of all the magic that actually does happen in our lives, um, making us a little more little more conscious of that. So there's more to come. But, yeah, you can find the book on Amazon.com, I think, and .co.uk. Yeah, that link will be in the blog post immediately following when I published it. But, again, I'd like to point That's out all. that okay. I remember talking to a writer once, and she was like, oh, I don't do yoga, but the act of writing, the act of expressing 
is an act of yoga in itself. It causes meditation. You have to focus. I mean, that's, you know, everything potentially is an act of yoga. You know, if, Correct. if we use that term, you know, if we use the term yoga to mean bringing ourselves into the present by connecting ourselves with the body, everything can be an act of yoga. Exactly. And, you know, the more, yeah, the more we get that, the better. <laughs> then, then we don't have to go to a class to do yoga. We can walk in the street to do yoga. I mean, I believe that that was Patanjali's intention with his word, Asa Yoga Nishasana, yoga begins in the now. If you can be here now, yeah, you're doing I, yoga. That's right. I am. I'm walking in the street <laughs> in the sunshine. Right. It's pain in the moment. Oh, well, maybe yeah, to make I a mean, dog feel you know, bad, depending on where the yeah, yeah. is. <laughs> No, it's beautiful here. It's, I mean, it's unseasonally beautiful. It's October and fantastically hot day. And my brother is in Iowa and he just told me it's snowing. Excellent. <laughs> How is your brother? Is he good? He's good, yes. Thank you for asking. Glad now, let me ask you, what would you tell your earlier self? You know, now you're, now you're seasoned. Now you're matured. Now you are vintagely well-preserved. So what would you tell your earlier self about making it in a yoga world of today? Ooh. Um, that's a really tricky question. Well, I, I would say, you know, that, that um, you know, to, to simply be a yoga teacher is pretty hard. So I would aim to be a, a very rounded yoga teacher with a lot more to offer than, um, than, than simply working in the studio. So... Yeah, I think it would be that, you know, to really to, to become a yoga teacher within a much broader context. Um, and then the same, you know, that we've discussed, then you can teach yoga everywhere. You know, you can teach yoga if you're, te- if you're doing Thai massage or, you know, some other body work or, you say, writing. So so stay broad, um, not too specific. That's fantastic. And you touched also by saying that about challenges that you see yoga teachers facing, which is... What would you say some of the challenges that a yoga teacher faces today? These days, I see, I mean, you know, I don't work within it, but I, you know, I hear a lot about the studio, the studio world, world in London, and it looks, you know, that, that I mean, you become successful, which means you're a good yoga teacher, and people really like to come back to your class. You end up almost in an unteachable space. You know, people are suddenly expected to teach sixty people in a studio. And um, that's a bit of a curse. So, you know, I don't know what will happen in the future for yoga teachers if the studios win in, the, in that way. Um, you know, I don't know, don't know what, what kind of future there will be. You know, what I hope is that those kind of yoga teachers can teach little classes again as well. You know? I remember the days okay. when you know, yoga teachers, you know, we used to have six people at home. And that, was, that was a yoga class, six people in somebody's sitting room. And... Uh, yeah, now, 60 people in the studio. My God, it's, uh, it's show business. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's some serious challenges that impact yoga students. What do you think the, the challenge yeah. that the yoga students have to face because of that? Yeah, no, no, that's, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, I feel a bit the same as it with, you know, therapists. Really, you know, it's time that we started making our own collectives, you know. A studio costs some money, but it costs extra for the, for the teacher because somebody else is making money just by the fact that they got the studio. So what we need really is to build a kind of cooperative, you know, yoga teacher cooperative or therapist cooperative, so together they can run the studio and together they can manage it. Um, and then they'll get a better deal and so will their students. 
So that that would be my recommendation to any young students, young young, young teachers, get together and um, put your own cooperative model together. That's a really beautiful tip. Do you have any other two tips you might want to give new teachers or seasoned teachers? Besides teachers. being well-rounded. <laughs> and yeah. Collective. You know, Those are two great tips. Do you have another one? Let's give another yeah. one. Yeah, be humble. And, you humble. Know, don't, because, you know, there is this world of celebrity, you know, celebrity yoga teachers. Although I notice, you know, a lot of, a lot of the great old teachers, you know, um, are returning to, to simplicity again. You know, some of these, you know, your Texan guys, what are they called, the brothers, they're kind of, you know, in, in a way coming back to simplicity. But there was this draw towards um, really show business and, you know, almost rock stardom within within the yoga world, which I guess is very tempting for, for a young yoga teacher. But there's not much room for superstars. Um, and it must be excruciating to get there. So, you know, I think the best way to be a yoga teacher is be humble. Have, have small aims, except that, you know, if you're not trying to make a lot of money, it can be a very beautiful way to live. But if you're trying to make a lot of money, it must be an excruciating way to live. I agree so, with you. As a yoga teacher who tries to stay humble and feed myself, like, I come to terms with, yes, I'm not trying to be a millionaire with yoga. If you want to be a millionaire, yeah. you may want to go choose a different field. <laughs> Yes, really. <laughs> I mean, a few have made it, but you know, it's a bit like lottery. You know, a few people win the lottery. Correct. Everybody else thinks they can. You know? So, Correct. a few people make it as mega stars, and everybody else thinks they can. But you know, there's there's not room for too many uh, too many superstars, and it looks a little uncomfortable for some of them. <laughs> and then you just mentioned when the consequences are for. If you want to be there, then it's just like 150 or 200 people in the class, and now there's no connection, there's no involvement, yeah. and then the student is the one who really suffers at the end of the day. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And then, but then, you know, again, in the Western world, we eviscerate something. You know, we take something that's very pure and very simple, and we pull the guts out of it. So, you know, we take yoga, which potentially will lead somebody to God, and. Um, pull the guts out of it so it's just a workout you know it's just another another opportunity to buy a pair of sketchy pants or another another you know super mat or a traveling mat or a black mat or you know all the other things you can have and um, so yeah in the, in the west we, we very easily take the guts out of something good all right, I think that may have inspired you to write the book in the way that you just mentioned about pointing out those two worlds that are in conjunction yeah I think so I think you know and and of course you know Eastern philosophy tells us you know about this this weather delusion that gets pulled over our eyes but you know sadly that weather delusion includes you know spiritual work you know it, it also becomes an illusion you know yoga can become an illusion correct um, so yeah it's, it's you know it, it is you know the book is really about that Really, you know, the need to to wake up and to see the seduction of a of a, our industrial life. You know, the people who've got a stake in keeping us hungry and needy, and you know, in search of new experiences. I mean, even you know, I see friends teach yoga, and you know, they, they think they have to constantly come up with new sequences and learn new asanas. You know, because right. the students get bored. It's like shit. Let them get bored. You know, let them get through that as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> No, I agree. Like in the boredom. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I often like to tell people. 
that meditation is boring. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I do a Sangha practice. At yeah. the end of the day, it's the same practice. It's boring, but it's also not boring. And if you can't learn how to That's right. move past the boredom, then you're just seeking something new again and again. And how are you going to ever find yeah. that peacefulness that lies inside of you? That's right. And, the, and then, you know, you wake up for a moment and it's like, shit, <laughs> that's amazing. But, uh, you know, they're just, yeah, gifts of moments. And, uh, you know, that's what we have to accept is that we can have that all the time, actually, not just in the class, but, you know, here on the street, here in the sun. Yeah, exactly. The flight, you know, bus, everything, everywhere. So, yeah, embrace the boredom. <laughs> Basically, embrace yeah. the routine. As I say, that's why I love you know, when I when somebody explained the Sangha, because to me, you know, Sangha was just really hard work and I wasn't very flexible and, you know, I felt myself doing wrong things and, you know, became very judgmental myself in a Sangha. But then I realized, you know, it's a beautiful thing. You know, this is the routine. It's a given. That's it. You don't have to change it. You don't have to. You, the excitement is within that in the same way as, you know, sitting on a meditation mat. You don't have to find another mat. <laughs> you know, use the one you got. <laughs> you know, finding a new one is not going to change it. Another another mala will not make your meditation any better. Right. Well, that was awesome. I really love it. Would you have any last tips or shares or insights that you want to share with them? Because you've traveled a lot, you've been um, many places, you've seen lots of places, lots of people. No, you know, I'm old now. <laughs> I'm kind of, you know, so, so, you know, what I say is from the perspective of somebody who, you know, is happy not to travel too much, you know, happy not to, to go across the world. So I can't advise because, you know, if you're younger, then you should do all of that. So, you know, I think um, the most important, <laughs> the most important is to, um, yeah, to be who you are at the point of life you are and not, not really trying to be like anybody else. That's a beautiful point. So, yeah, my, you know, it was always my premise in, in therapy is, is, you know, stop trying to heal yourself. Stop trying to cure yourself. Stop trying to be another version of yourself. Just be. Be yourself, you know, incurable. With all your faults and all your madness and all your, you know, everything. Just be yourself. But if you can't accept yourself, how are you going to ever move past whatever it is that you think you need to move past from? Exactly. And, you know, just accept you're incurable. <laughs> I love it. You're never going to get awesome. sick. So stop, stop I may trying have, to get sick. I may have to use that as a title. Accept your incurability. How would I Yeah. Yeah, with pleasure. I'm going to have to go because I have to take I know. Why don't you tell them? Why don't you tell them how to find you? I'm going to put that there and then we're going to let you go. Yeah. You have a website? You just, you have... Yeah, just Google it. Well, it's howardevans.co.uk. So if you Google Howard Evans, you get me, or you get a rooster called um, Howard Evans, but it goes for me, not the rooster. And um, that's it, yeah. I'm up, up there on the internet. Okay, and, and I, will, um, I will have all those links for them. Yeah. Howard, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of the beautiful morning. Have a wonderful day. It's uh, always a pleasure to hear you. Hey, it's my here. pleasure. It's a pleasure to know you. It's a pleasure to chat with you, as always. And, um, yeah, you're an amazing guy. I really appreciate knowing you. Likewise, likewise. Have fun today. See you soon. See you, buddy. Thank you. Bye-bye.